on this special episode of In This Relations, uh, without the fabulous Greg Robertson, as he is on vacation, I speak with Keith Robinson of Next Home about macroeconomics, housing, and authenticity. This is Industry Relations, a podcast that's at the intersection of real estate and technology from an insider's perspective with Rob Hahn and Greg Robertson. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Industry Relations with Rob and Greg. Um, this is obviously your co-host, the notorious ROB, Rob Hahn. Uh, but today, unfortunately, we will not be with the fabulous Greg Robertson because fabulous Greg is on a fabulous uh, vacation in fabulous Greece. So hopefully uh, when he sees this, uh, he can wave to us. So instead, I have a guest host th- this direction. Yeah. I don't have a, a nickname for you yet, Keith, the, the but this is my fabulous. friend Keith Robinson. <laughs> the less fabulous Keith Robinson. What's that? The less fabulous Keith Robinson. <laughs> Uh, you're pretty goddamn fabulous yourself. Um, obviously, you know, we've known each other for many years, but, uh, and I think most people who are listening probably know who you are, but just in case, let's start yeah. with a little bit of intro. Sure. Who are you? Yeah. Uh, what do you do? Yeah, I feel like we're speed dating. I know. Fun. Keith uh, Robinson, everybody. Right. <laughs> I'm Keith <laughs> Robinson. I'm the currently the chief strategy officer for Next Home, which is a national residential real estate franchisor. We've got roughly 560 locations, uh, just shy of 6,000 agents across the country. Uh, 20, almost 22 years in residential real estate, started representing buyers and sellers, uh, have run an office as big as zero agents, whether it was me, a, a big mortgage or a big leaf <laughs> and a receptionist. And then we grew it and the largest office I ever ran had 200 and 24 agents so right on yeah been around the space for a long time um i am not an economist but i am an <laughs> economics nerd uh, i do like to follow the movements not only of wall street while that's interesting uh, but also on main street and residential real estate and yep. sort of those different moving pieces so yep. Yeah. I know. And that's so I'm so happy to have you join us. Thanks for coming on and uh, oh, stepping into Greg's ginormous capable shoes. So, yes. you know. Yeah. Um but listen, I mean one of my thoughts was as we were talking about this, I want to talk about like economy, housing market, macro stuff. Sure. And you and I tend to talk about that stuff privately off we do. offline, off, off chain. Yeah. yeah. You are and, uh, I keep a list of really <laughs> smart people that I like to text random things. <laughs> And you are on that list. So I, well, I, yeah. I appreciate being on that list. But my, my thoughts was, look, if we're going to talk about macroeconomics, yeah. who better to ask than someone who is not an economist, right. just like me? Right. Well, <laughs> like, most of them think uh, people act logically. So they're already <laughs> wrong, like out of the gate. Uh, yeah. But, but yeah. one day we'll, we'll also have economists on, you know, so yes. give, give us a, a real expert view. But I figure in the meantime, you know, given the track record of uh, economists, <laughs> who better then uh you know you but I, look here's all joking aside yeah. i i do know you look actually really do follow i do economics yeah. and I, i've been uh, yeah i pay tremendous attention to the real estate market i pay yep. tremendous attention to the financial markets yep. and the stock market i mean it, yep. it it is all intertwined and and yep. they all connect in some ways and i mean let's also be honest this is probably one of the most interesting times oh for know, sure man you know there's there's a lot of moving pieces and a lot of stuff going on so try for sure to make sense all right so 
let's start there, man. I mean, yeah. again, it's almost like the that last conversation you had a couple of weeks ago. But just you know, I don't know if you've put out anything recently because I know you do put some stuff out yeah. on Facebook and you know on like emails and such, you know, to your your people, you yeah, know, your agents, your brokers. Yeah. Um, like, what's the latest in terms of where you think are now that like June CPI numbers are out? Yeah, yeah. You know, the housing market seems to be quote collapsing. There's all these people saying, you know, why isn't the housing market collapsed? Like, what's what's the kind of the latest wisdom from Big sure. Daddy Keith Robinson? Well, Big Daddy uh, missed on the last CPI number, so I thought we had topped out on inflation and it was going to flatten. Uh, turns out I was wrong. It's still going up, um, and you know, obviously that's concerning. Uh, it's part of the reality of the world that we live in. Um, and i still am somewhat optimistic about inflation slowing down. Uh, I'm not saying going okay. down, but, you know, flattening out the, uh, rate of increase in inflation. I, I think that hopefully anyway, this was the last sort of uh, saber rattle of the inflation number, that CPI number. I know you and I don't have the same exact view on inflation, nope. and that's okay. Um, that's totally fine. Yeah, but I, I do think, look, I mean, gas has gotten a little cheaper in the last few weeks. Some of the key drivers for what was impacting inflation, we're seeing some of those core prices come down. Um, so I'm semi-optimistic, though not it's not sunshine and rainbows out there and no way do I want to pretend that it is. Uh, but I think the inflation number anyway is going to start uh, tapering off a little as far as the rate of increase. So what are you seeing in the housing market specifically? Because I know, you know, obviously both of us, when we look at macro things, we tend to look yeah. at how does it affect the housing market? What's what's your latest read on kind of the housing market? Well, and anytime I'm, I talk about the housing market, I want to start with it's hyperlocal. And of course, you know, yeah, but I think some people miss that, right? Like we assume the whole nation, you know, went down and down dramatically in 2008. And the reality is there were some markets in the country that actually had a boom in mm -hmm. 2008 through 2011. So it, all real estate is hyperlocal. The drivers for it are hyperlocal. But now let me, uh, let me answer the actual question, right? Which is, look, you don't need you and I to jump on a podcast and say that the real estate market is slowing. It, it is slowing. I can say it. There's statistics everywhere to prove it. Uh, you're seeing days on market go up. You're seeing available mm -hmm. inventory go up. I, I don't know that that translates though to this, um, you know, collapse of the residential real estate markets. Um, right. I, it, in my opinion, the, the, we were complaining as an industry six months ago that there wasn't enough inventory, right? right? Now we're complaining that there's too much inventory and that the market's slowing too fast. There's a little bit of a Goldilocks effect in yeah. our industry where we're never happy, right? No. When there isn't enough. There's no equilibrium. There's no point at which all of us in the industry are like, this is just right. It's always not enough or too much. Okay, but you know, let me let me pause you right there because yeah. I've been I've been getting to not I wouldn't even call it debates because I I don't I feel like I'm not qualified enough. You know, I don't sure. I don't have. You've been having you know, conversations. Yeah, just more yeah. conversations, asking yeah. questions about yeah. this. Um, and a couple of the more prominent people that I think I've been at least on Twitter is like Logan Mutshami from um, uh, uh, Housing Wire. Yeah. You know, uh, Mike Simonson, you know, our mutual friend who, uh, the Altos Research, yeah. and then a whole bunch of other, like, actual economists and, you know, whatever. Yeah. And the thing that I keep 
think about it. I just wrote a post about this because of what something that Logan uh, had written. So in your, so you know, this notion that the housing market's been really crazy. It's been super hot. And we all get that, right? Yeah. It's like okay, with a uh, rising inventory and longer days on market, and we're not seeing like twenty five off- multiple offers coming in. It's yeah. heading back toward balance. Correct. And the question I keep asking is, what do you mean by balanced? Right. So. You've been in the business 22 years. I've been in this, not 22 years, but for a long time. Long time. Let's let's start with sort of setting some baseline metrics. Like what would you consider as the last balanced market that you have seen in real estate? And what's your definition of that? Yeah, I I mean, so the economist definition, right, or the classroom definition is when it's in equilibrium where – when a buyer sees a house that they want to buy, they can go and write an offer and have that offer accepted. Uh, you know, there's not multiple offers on every home, but also for the seller side, homes aren't just languishing on the market. Um, you, you could use days on market as uh, a trigger for that. You could use okay. month supply as a trigger for that. None of them are perfect and none of them really tell the story. Because it, some of this is is hyper individualized, right? Sure. To get to, let's say you feel like six, if we had six months of inventory, right? That's yeah. some places call that equilibrium, right? If yeah. it's less than six months uh, of inventory, then that's considered uh, a seller's market. And if it's more, that's considered a buyer's market. Well, to get to that, someone's house might be on the market for 12 months and that sure. seller is certainly going to feel like, right. So like, sure. But, I know. Like, but what I mean is economics, we've got to look at. Yeah. Long-term. yeah. So, right. I mean, I, I think inventory months of supply is usually what folks will use for that. I think. What do you use? Idea. That's kind of what I'm asking. You know, it's beyond just the numbers. Like, cause again, you've seen, you know, you've seen a up, you've seen the down, you've, you've, you've seen these markets. Like what's your gut tell you? Like when was the last time you felt like, you know what, this is a good, healthy market. Mm, it's a good question. And so let me while you think about that, here's why I bring this up, right? Yeah, maybe okay, never. <laughs> right. So from 2000, right? Yeah. We've had this housing bubble inflate through 2007. Mm-hmm. So I don't think anyone's going to claim that 2004, 2005 was a healthy, balanced market, right? That yeah. that's in the middle of the the I bubble inflation because the market was slowing the the housing market was slowing down pre COVID, right? Right, right. So yeah. I'm just so, let's just go through history, right? Yeah. So if you look at months of inventory, that's like four. And everyone was freaking out. It's like, oh, how's are flying off the shelf, the bubble, ninja loans. Remember all that, right? This yeah, is the yeah, big yeah. short. Back in like 08 and all that. Yeah, yeah. I'm talking about back in like 04, sure. 05, right? Yeah. It was like yeah. nuts. Nobody thought this was a healthy market. Okay, well, then the bubble yeah, first. Yes, yeah. Everyone, but yes, I'll agree with you. Okay. Just- unless you're unless you're the chief economist of an AR, nobody thought that was a healthy market. There's no good time to buy or sell, buy and sell. Like it just yeah, correct. Right. Yes. Then the bubble bursts. Yeah. And then for like from 2008 to about 2013, mm-hmm. months of inventory was like above seven. And yeah. everyone's like, we're in the doldrums. This is the pits. Right? Nothing's moving. Right. You know, you need uh, you need to offer out incentives and mm-hmm. all this nonsense, right? Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like anyone was thinking, oh, 2011 was a balanced, healthy market. Like nobody was oh. thinking that, right? Yeah. Okay. 2013 starts inflating again. Yeah. And I'm like, is that the last? Like, when was the last time just gut feeling wise? Oh, you know, this is a good balanced market. I, I mean, the last time I think I felt 
something akin to that. The most yeah. recent time, I guess. So last yeah. recent, right? Before COVID hit, I remember feeling like, oh, it's slowing down, but this feels good, right? Now, that's still not... Are you talking like early 2020? Like January, February? Yeah, yeah. Or like late 2019? Yeah, exactly. Yes. Okay. Now, I don't know. That was still a little heavily tilted towards probably a seller's market, but it felt like it was coming into alignment. And then, like, we had this wild disruptive event that just sort of shuffled, you know, sort of flipped. Sure. Flipped over the board and, sure. and <laughs> started over. But. but that's why I'm bringing this up, Keith, because I was thinking about this because, again, I've, I'm watching all this. I'm having this yeah. conversation. And I'm like, again, maybe my memory is jacked. But 2018, 2019, we were all just super worried about housing unaffordability. Prices yeah. were going crazy. Yep. Multiple offers were everywhere. Like It's not like 2019 was this balanced market. Well, I agree, but it was it was coming back into alignment. I'm not saying, I mean, I feel like that conversation is yeah. one that you can only, you really figure it out in hindsight, right? If you figure it out at all, when you're in the moment, it, it you, you don't have this sort of epiphany esque experience where you're like, Oh, this feels normal. Right. You're cool. <laughs> It's not how it works. Like you're, it always feels like it's not quite enough or it's a little too much. It, it yeah, doesn't yeah. ever feel normal. I'm sure there's some point, you know, between 2014 and when it really started to take off again where it, it hit some sort of balance or equilibrium. But it, I, don't, I don't think it ever really feels like that, at least from an industry insider, right? Yeah, like yeah. For me, I've never felt like, oh, we're there. Like this yeah. is it. this is this is Nirvana. This is the balanced place. Yeah, um, I know when it's out of whack, and then you know, then you're starting, and it's it's within degrees, right? Like, so I feel like we're. I tend to look at trend lines or where which way are we headed more than yeah. like this perfect intersection point. Okay, so I mean, I just bring that up because when but people yeah. thought we're getting back, I'm like, when was the last time we were balanced, right? And depending on the metric you use, right, it's a while. <laughs> like, it, it definitely has been boom busty, like yeah. going up like crazy, crumbling like crazy. Yeah, uh, more so than well, I mean, you just look at you pull up any chart, right? And that's been the case for most charts. That yeah. almost literally like inside or outside of real estate for most charts it's got these crazy peaks and valleys yeah uh, unlike it's had in a long long All time right. so i just wanted to raise okay so the, the, we know that there's no baseline it's not like you can point to 2004 yeah. like we need to get back to 2004 it, it, right. there's nothing like that in our in, at least in my memory i didn't get into the industry until like 2004 you know starting at realogy so yeah. i feel like my entire career in real estate has just either been <laughs> bubble great truth to that or you're sort of running up the bubble right yeah you're, you're <laughs> different points in the mountain that, that's it's an, actually an interesting observation yeah so maybe some of the older people who are like around in the 80s and 90s you know like oh no no there was a time when things were you know, six months supply and it was yeah. just kind of like, okay, I, I, I don't remember that time, grandpa. So, you know, right. it is what it is. <laughs> right. 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 Having said that. Okay. Yeah. 
what what are you seeing then? What are you projecting for say remainder of this year? You know, yeah. what are you telling your agents? What are you telling brokers? I, I think for agents and brokers, this is it's a psychological event first, right? Like there are okay. some agents that have not experienced at all what we're going through right now. And mm. um, there's a there's a skill set that's required for a transitionary market like this that some people don't possess, right? So for for my organization, we're just trying to increase the communication and the conversation around you know, number one, and and I am admittedly a glasses half full kind of guy. I like to think of myself as a realist, but I'm probably an optimistic realist. Um, You're an optimist. I think that's fair. Optimistic yeah. realist. Yeah. So look, 2008, people were still buying houses, right? Sure. And every headline, every news report, every everything led with real estate's absolutely wetting the bed and the country is screwed. The economy is screwed and real estate is the reason why. And still and yet in those times, people were buying houses. Right. And I don't mean just like investors and flippers and, you know, people were moving job transfer. Right. And so in this new I'm I don't believe where we're headed is what we had in 2008. And okay. I think there's enough evidence uh, that would indicate that. Um, OK, give me an example. What do you see bit different? Like if you look at the last seven recessions. There's only been two that have impacted residential real estate negatively, and one of them only impacted residential real estate values like less than two percent. Okay. So, and then 2008 was that that's that was the housing industry tanking the economy, right. not the economy tanking the housing industry. Yeah. So, yeah. historically, real estate's fared pretty well through recessions and. Does that mean it will this time? Look, I don't know. If I knew, I'd be running my hedge fund for a couple <laughs> hundred billion dollars a year, right? But I do think that most of the time, recessions tend to be, uh, I don't want to say created, but they start on Wall Street, and then sometimes they spill over to Main Street. And this, to me, is an example of a recession that has started on Wall Street, that will then spill over to some degree to residential real estate and okay. Main Street, right? And so okay. I don't, I think for the year, residential real estate will still have appreciated the macro number for national statistics. Uh, residential real estate will be up for this year. Uh, how much? Do you have a guess? I mean, last, you know, we were at what, 8%, 8%, 9% appreciation. Um, for what? At the mid-year, at the at the you know, at the, no, I thought it was like twelve percent. Okay, so I was. I mean, it was double digits. Yeah. yeah. So I don't think we're gonna go down by twelve percent and be a net zero <laughs> by the end of the year, right? That's probably not going to happen. Uh, yeah. So pretty safe bet that for the year, uh, do I think we'll still end up at twelve percent appreciation? It's a good question. No. Okay. If you knew, man, you'd be running a multi-billion yeah, dollar hedge no, fund. I, I do think some of yeah, it's. We will be in a situation for values for residential real estate where I think it's going to run flat to slightly up or slightly down. And I think that is the environment that we're heading into uh, in the near term. 
Okay. So, I think that's reasonable. Um, here's the thing that I've been wondering about. All right. Mm -hmm. So all the all the news, all the media, all the stats, everything has yeah. been inventory levels are way up. Like I think I just read, uh, like in the Denver metro area, inventory is like ninety four percent year over year. Yeah. In June. Right. The bizarre thing is, so I, I, I'm literally conducting this right now as I'm recording this. I went on Twitter this morning and asked this question. I've been looking through a bunch of stats. Uh -huh. I think Redfin had come out with a study showing like inventories are rising, more homeowners are like cutting, you know, like those prices are being cut, yeah. you know, blah, blah, blah. Mike's, Mike's been on this as, at Altos in a really great way, just showing like the percentage of listings that have a price drop yeah. is like at a, you know, 10 year high or something. Yeah. What's weird about it is, the percentage of new listings year over year are down. Yeah. So like in Colorado, it's like inventory is up 94%. New listings down 4%. Right. And I've and so the so far the only market that I've seen where someone local, you know, has said, oh yeah, new listings are up is Tampa Orlando. Okay. I'm sure there are others. I, I guess yeah, I'm, there, I'm sure there researching are, right but, now. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I don't know if you collect that data. Do you have any insights into that? Uh, like uh, new uh, listings versus inventory? Do you know what I mean? I don't have access to it. I could get it. There's places you can get it, but I don't have it at my fingertips. Huh? But let's just take those, right? Because that's what it feels like to me. Like, okay, inventory numbers are up, but that's because essentially existing inventory is aging yeah. as opposed to new sellers coming in and saying, you know what? I need to take advantage of this. Right. right. No, there's a certain look. There's there's a inventory levels were they were we have had one of the tightest inventory markets that I've ever seen. Sure. Much. So like, yeah, of course, they're up. like talking about inventory levels being up is sort of like saying water's wet. Like, duh, of course, inventory levels are up. They've been at historic lows. So that's that's OK. Right. right. That should happen. And then oftentimes when I see things being reported, inventory levels always rise this time of year. So the stuff that you're looking at, it, like within the same year where they're comparing it to say yeah. January or, or February, inventory levels always go up this time of year. Yeah. What's been happening for the last several years is it goes up, but it all just gets consumed so quickly. Right, so, instantly. Yeah. So yes, buyer demand has started to wane for a whole bunch of different reasons. Interest rates is one of them. Mm -hmm. uh, that uh, you know, people have a lot of people have bought a lot of houses, <laughs> right? So they don't need to go buy another one. So we're seeing buyer demand start to slow down. That's a healthy thing. We need that in this industry. And then the um, wait, time out. Wait, why do you think we need that? What do you mean? Buyer demand decline. We can't continue to have twenty percent appreciation rate year over year. For, like that's unhealthy, right? Anything that grows that fast falls over. <laughs> right? like a tree if a tree grows that fast it doesn't develop the root system and then it just falls over like we tried that that's part of what happened last time is we had this run up until about 2000 2001 and then it started to slow down and then we got cute with and i'm not blaming the mortgage industry this is not the mortgage industry's fault okay Wall Street, I'm not blaming Wall Street either. They put up, uh, they put together a, a way to tinker with interest rate that fixed the affordability problem. But when you fix the affordability problem, instead of having this sort of slowdown that we should have as things get unaffordable, that old Wall Street line that's been around forever, the cure for high prices is high prices, right? Mm -hmm. And then everybody sort of slows down, they take a deep breath, they look around, and then they come back in, right? 
And we didn't have that. We ran up again. And then, you know, we went up a lot for a long time and then the wheels came off. So I, you can't have 20% appreciation year over year over year over year and call that healthy. That's You just can't. Okay. So, okay. You're talking about sort of a higher yeah. kind of, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Sorry. Continue. Yeah. Uh, now I forgot where I was. I got all loud up on you. <laughs> so, so it's, oh, it's, it's existing inventory versus new inventory. Inventory right? levels are up. Inventory levels should be up. And part of the reason that you're not seeing these newer listings, you know, newer listings are down in some markets is, look, I mean, there was money to be made. So, yeah, like market's hot. Let me put my home on the market. Let me test it out. Let me see what happens. If I can get X, I'll sell my house. There have been some percentage of the listings over the last 36 months have been that kind of listing. And those folks are looking at it now going, nah, I'm okay. I'm good right here, <laughs> right? This isn't the market per se, you know, again, macro standpoint nationwide, there's some markets where it's still really hot, but they're looking at the marketplace now and going, mm, this is probably not the test your waters marketplace, right? Mm. And so that kind of makes sense to me that newer listings would be down. That, that that can map to logic. Okay. I mean, you know, this these are the times where I wish we had much better, like more granular data. Because like the 15% in Tampa and Orlando, just knowing what I know about Tampa and Orlando, that was like one of the top uh, destinations for investors. Mm -hmm. You know, same thing with Vegas or Phoenix. And I'm kind of curious, like what percentage of that 15% new inventory is from investors who are just saying, you know what? I bought it three years ago. It's yeah. time to get out while the, you know, it's top of the market. Because investors are, you know, they they have different motivations than sure. homeowners and consumers, yes. right? Yeah. With homeowners, I'm like, who the hell is selling? Right? Like, of yeah. course, you always have people selling because of life circumstances, yes. right? Yeah. I, but I don't know a single homeowner's like, hey, you know what? It's top of the market. It's time to sell my house and then buy another house. Like, yeah, most people don't sell because of timing in the market. They sell no. because of timing in their life. Right. Yeah. Got a new baby, you know, yeah. uh, whatever. I mean, look, the part of the reason we had such voracious buyer demand uh, when the pandemic hit is most of us have something we'd like to change about our house, right? Mm -hmm. And then when you get locked in it for depending where you live for how long, right? <laughs> Everything that drove you nuts about your house is driving you extra nuts yeah. But now you have to work from home and that it wasn't set up for that. Yeah. So not surprising buyer demand had this really voracious appetite because of all of those reasons. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, the, I just think the, the whole, like, this is the end of the world for residential real estate narrative is like, I, I get, you know, it gets you clicks and you know, that sort of stuff. But, it just usually isn't the case Like mm -hmm. recession and real estate. I think there's a massive recency bias based off of what happened in 2008. Yeah. I know it was technically a recession during COVID uh, and everybody sort of just, you know, we just sort of throw that one out. Right. But you, there's a natural inclination to think that this one will be like the last one. And um, they aren't no two recessions are the same. Uh, right. no two things that impact the economy are the same. And historically, right. When when GDP goes down, that doesn't mean real estate values tank. Right, right, right. Although, I mean, this, <sighs> I don't know, man. Like, I, I wonder how much of the GDP numbers are 
are nominal versus real and but that's a whole different discussion yeah, yeah. yeah same with inflation right yeah that's a whole different discussion like i said i mean the thing that i i, I worry about is everyone's like housing market whatever price you know like housing markets collapsing i'm like tights are still going up double digits yeah right? how, how can you say that housing is collapsing like I'm saying the problem is the other one, right? In other words, the, the problem with the housing market is not that it's collapsing, it's that it's too expensive. No, like affordability is the problem, not sure. number of sales, right? And yeah. I don't see affordability changing because of this. Everyone's expecting it to. It's like, well, inventory no. sitting, they're going to cut their price. I'm like, well, are they? Like, no, I, I don't think that, well, A, it's never one thing, right? It's always a series of things. A series yeah. of fortunate or unfortunate events, right? Um, there's no one solution for affordability. There just isn't, right? Um, when it comes to affordability, there's only three calculations in a mortgage. One is how much you want to borrow, right? The other is at what rate, and then the last one is for how long. Uh, most people who own a home already don't want to see the how much people are borrowing goes down because that means there's downward price, right? The, the value of their home is going down. Mm -hmm. uh, so the people who own already don't want that. The people who don't would prefer it to go down. So it's more affordable. Right. We tried tinkering with the rate into, you know, the run up to 2008. And that was a pretty bad experience. So I hope we don't right. tinker with the rate. That only leaves one thing term. Right. Mm. And you're starting to see this now where uh, this was in England, but England yeah. pushed out term. They're looking at 40 year term. We have 40 right. year mortgages now. But banks don't love them, so they don't make it price sensitive enough to where it's any significant savings. So if a person was comparing a 40-year note to a 30-year note, they would just pick the 30-year note. But uh, And I get made fun of for this sometimes when people freak out. But like I say push out terms, just do it 100-year fixed, right? Like, why not 500? I sure. Mean, why why, why limit right. it to 100? Right. I don't know, because <laughs> 30 to 100 sounds like a lot. 30 to 500, I don't think I can pull that off, right? I mean, if it's if it's going to be generational loans anyway, like make it generational. It's like, yeah, you know, your right. grandkids will be paying it. Like, and maybe make it only for first-time homebuyers. I'm also fine with that. Like, sure. The payment won't change. Most people make more money over time, not less. Yes, they're, you know, one one-hundredth of a penny is getting taken off as far as, you know, as far as the amortization schedule, but that to me, but here's my concern. There's other ways to solve affordability other than downward pressure on price. The issue is, I, I think my issue is this, right? And I think, again, I've been exploring it to kind of tell you what is get your thoughts on it. Yeah. What's weird about this. Okay. Where's the housing market is tanking because rates are up. Yeah. No, right? it's not, but okay. But you know what I mean? Let's tanking. Yeah. Hence yeah. the air quotes for anyone's yeah. listening audio. I'm making yeah. air quotes. Yeah. Right. <laughs> housing market is quote unquote tanking because uh, rates are up now mortgage rates are five and three quarters whatever it's going to be north of six you know, whatever right because the fed's going to keep raising rates sure the inflation print means that the fed's going to come out for the july meeting with either 75 basis point hike or maybe 100 basis point hike right it's they're gonna because they're gonna try and kill inflation okay sure. cool yeah yeah housing is the biggest contributor to inflation uh like if you look at the way the cpi is constructed okay okay right? Yeah, um, the Fed does the stupid games with how they calculate housing inflation. But again, that's a whole other topic. But housing is the biggest driver of inflation. Sure. Housing costs are completely out of whack, which is why inflation is so high. So the Fed's going to raise rates and then drive housing, uh, at least growth in housing costs down. 
The issue is what it's doing to whole new home builders mm-hmm. is a lot of them are saying, hey, you know what? We're not going to build any more houses. Right? Partly because the drop in demand, right? So a bunch of them right now have a bunch of talk about inventory. Like those guys actually have real inventory, right? Because right, they went out right. and built houses on yeah. spec or whatever. Yeah. They, they, they have, have like they have inventory, have inventory actual yeah. inventory, and they have inventory. It's like, okay, fine, just fucking dump it, right? But after they get past the existing inventory, mm-hmm. they're gonna be like, we're not gonna build anymore because number one, the cost of construction loans has now gone way up because yeah. Fed raised rates, which affects yeah. those loans. Mm-hmm. And because mortgages are higher, fewer people are going to be able to buy our new homes. Yeah. Okay. You're being a little absolutist, which I don't agree with. But, uh, no, but you know, like as a high level, sure. like that's what's happening. Okay. Yeah. For the last 10 years, mm-hmm. we've heard the problem is supply. Yeah. You haven't built enough housing. Correct. We, like America needs like 10 million new units or whatever. Okay. I'm going, okay. If we take that as a given, at precisely the moment where we need home prices to drop naturally mm-hmm. but increase supply, we're making it harder to build homes. I mean, I got that correct, right? A- am I missing something there? Well, uh, what a few like look, builders aren't going to stop building a hundred percent altogether, and demand isn't going to go to zero, right? So there's my point in that you're making some absolutist statements there that just aren't accurate, right? At the end of the day, home builders make money by building homes, and mm-hmm. if they, they so they're not going to build zero of them because they like making money, right? In the same way that banks make money by making loans. And so banks aren't going to stop lending money. Um, Their interests are aligned in that what they want is to figure out, yes, one of the drivers for affordability can be downward pressure on price. That is one of the drivers of affordability. There are other ways you can crack uh, the affordability code that don't just involve downward pressure on price. Hey, everybody. I'm so excited to announce our inaugural sponsor of the Industry Relations Podcast, Note Router. Um, Note Router was launched back in 2018 by Nick Goff, and they had the mission of reconnecting real estate. Um, Note Router is an all in one email and texting platform designed exclusively for real estate. Uh, Note Router syncs with your membership database to make communicating with your members easier and more effective. Believe me, your staff is going to love you for this. If you're an association or MLS and you want to do a better job with communicating with members, really look no further. Um, they've just launched a brand new website. It looks fantastic, by the way. I'll put the URL in the show notes. It's noterouter.com. Go there, take a look. You'll find everything you need. Once again, thank you, Nick. Thank you uh, to everybody at Note Router for sponsoring the Industry Relations Podcast. Rob and I truly appreciate your, your support. But what I mean is, okay, so we're going to see supply constrained. Yes or no? No, uh, we are going to see comply con- supply constrained, but not more constrained than it has been for the last 24 months. Like when COVID hit, buyer demand was still high. Yeah. But people didn't want to put their home on the market. Well, like, yeah. Not, but I'm, I'm talking new construction specifically. They couldn't build. I mean, they literally could not go to the job site, supply right. chain. You know, yeah. there's no wood yeah. to be had. So they, oh. they had to just stop. And I would also say they've been artificially constraining it 
builders used to be so comfortable with the boom and the bust, right? It was just that right. was kind of mavericky business and, and you would, they would, they would ride the roller coaster. And then in 2008, a bunch of their buddies that they used to meet at builder conferences all of a sudden were gone. Right. right. And right. so they've been much more uh, methodical in their approach to construction. Right. And there was this interesting dynamic. I mean, Builders haven't been building. Usually, if we had a supply side issue, like, okay, so immediately when COVID hits, then it releases. Well, you think the permit applications would go bananas. They would be right. swinging hammers like crazy and let's go, right? right? But they weren't. Why? I mean, they were still increasing, but not at the level that historically you would see. Mm-hmm. Well, because the cost to build the home had spiked, right? And so if the cost went up, but prices are going up, well, then I actually want to build them a little slower. Mm, okay. Because if, if I get that built and I sell it today, I could sell it more in a month and even more in six months. Right. So they didn't start swinging hammers as hard and as fast as they could because they believed that they would make more money later and the cost of lumber had gone up by 300%. Right. Okay. So all I'm saying is that, yes, you're not wrong as a, if they were – if you were a not-for-profit builder and all you cared about was the supply and demand side of the equation to solve the affordability problem, which is not what they are not trying to solve the affordability problem. They are trying to solve for their personal P&L, right? Right, right. But you've, they have not been building as many homes as humanly possible for a while because of the hangover from 2008. From 2008, you think we still have like ex- additional inventory out no, there? No, no, I mean the institutional memory. Oh, okay. Like they don't want to go yeah. bankrupt. They don't want to. They don't want to do what they did before, right? And this, right. I, so they're much more. Uh, you know, they're they're turning their knobs in real time. Like you can see. Usually, if it's a hot market, quote unquote, you just see the permit apps is just you know straight up and to the right, but it is. Yeah. They're like, mm, we're going to dial this back a little bit. Eh, we're not sure. Let's dial it back a little more. Um, I don't have any data on this, but I've been hearing more uh, just anecdotally uh, from builders that uh, they're doing more options to buy land in the future just than mm. buying outright buying land so that they've got a downside hedge that they can just walk away from it and not be saddled with the expense of it. So builders are more... Uh, thoughtful in their approach to their supply side, their personal supply side than I've ever in my, than I've seen in my 21 years. Okay. So you think that the cost of capital thing is not going to impact them as much. Correct. Correct. Okay. Yeah. All right. I I, I mean, we'll see. That's, that's yeah. fair. You know, I mean, it's in there, right? It's certainly yeah. in there and it's one of the pieces that is going to be an issue. Um, but I also think they're kind of okay with building less homes. Now, to your earlier statement, at the time when we need it the most, but uh, you know, this is maybe a little draconian, but they that's they don't care, <laughs> right? They're, they're not building homes to solve the affordability problem. No, <laughs> that's not what they wake up every day to try. To no, they, they're trying to build homes to make money. You yeah, know? and uh, if it becomes impossible to make money, they'll stop building. Yeah, you know right. that's how. Yeah. no, you're right. It's in their business, blah blah blah. But at the same time, if you're in business, you're like, okay, well, I can't build for you know 
less than 300 and I can't sell for 300, then they're going to not going to build. I mean, it's, yeah. it's really that simple, you know? Yeah. They'd rather just sit. Yeah, or they'll move out to tertiary markets and hold off on the land that they have in the more interior market. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, the, the dynamics of your large or even medium-sized regional builder are such yeah. that doubtful that their entire marketplace is going to shut down, right? They might say, all right, I'm not yeah. going to build in the core. I'll go yeah. out to these tertiary markets, find that first-time homebuyer market, stay out of the luxury market. Uh, they've got moves they can make. All right, let let me pivot quick, a little sharply, but it's 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 all connected. I promise you. All right, it usually is. S really, over the last two years, we've mm -hmm. seen this like incredible phenomenon. You kind of mentioned the work from home, yeah, right. But the other half of it was work from home connected with geographic arbitrage. Sure, right. And like I remember, like one of the very first posts I wrote when panic happened, when pandemic happened, was like upside of silver lining or something like that. And I talked about the rise of the exurbs and, yeah. you know, like a lot of these sort of yeah. laptop class, you know, workers mm -hmm. also going, why am I paying a million two for some shack in Silicon Valley? Right. Right. When I could move, you know, to uh, Tennessee and get a palatial mansion. So yeah. I think it's not, I don't think we can doubt that we have seen, like, I think uh, Rich Bard called it the great reshuffling. Yeah. Right? All these people moving out of super high cost, big urban metro areas into secondary cities, tertiary cities, you know, suburbs, exurbs, right? Okay. So there's a guy, and I, I'll, I'll see if we can put a link in it. Uh, I just started following his name. is I think it's Eric uh, Basmanian, I believe. He's uh, with a company called uh, EPB Macro Research. Okay. And they're on YouTube. They're phenomenal. Short videos. Uh, I think I sent you one of the videos yeah, and, yeah, you know, I looked at it, yeah. um, anyway, so what he talked about was like, he thinks like right now we're in this weird situation because the real demand shock that we had in the 20, you know, since the pandemic was this one time hit, right. From yeah. people going, Oh, I can work from home. I'm moving. Right. Yeah. So I sell my house. I'm going to buy in California. I'm going to sell my house in California. I'm going to buy in Tennessee, buy in Texas. Yeah. The question for you is this, again, not just not only because you've got 20 years experience in real estate, but also because you're senior leader of a company. Mm -hmm. Do you think work from home is a one-time thing? Is it done? Or is this more mm -hmm. permanent part of our well, sort of economy? What's your well, take I, on that? I, I, I promise, and I'm terrible at I always do this. I, I always answer your question eventually. But I think the first thing to note with the first time is not just the demand shock, but the the disjointed nature between the demand shock at the same time that we had massive supply constrictions, right? Mm -hmm. So that I had never seen anything like that before, where you did have this big uptick in demand shock because you're now free to move about the country, right? To some degree, um, at the same time that there were so few homes available because mm -hmm. of pandemic and all of that, those moving pieces. So it's important to note that when you look at stuff during that time frame, it too often they're just looking at the demand curve and then seeing what that did to prices. But you're looking at the demand curve and seeing what it did to prices at the same time that inventory levels were at the lowest, you know, ever, right? right. So there's that component. And no, I don't think it's a one-time shock per se um, because it's more of a, I do think there's a lingering effect here, right? Uh, my, my own company is an example. Historically, we've been right. not a work from home shop, 
right? Like we wanted people where we could see them and create culture and all of the things that there are some benefits to being in the same physical space, right? Yeah. Um, and since we, we, the whole, every industry got an opportunity to test work from home for somewhere between six months and two years, depending on where you live. Right. Right. And so everyone got a chance to see if it worked in your business or not. Turns out for ours, it worked pretty well. We had little inefficiencies. We weren't quite as efficient as before, but, uh, we also had access to talent that we didn't have access to before. So the net effect Mm -hmm. for us was it was a win. And so this will carry forward for us. And so for some percentage of the businesses in the world uh, or in the United States, that'll be true. And so now I do think more than ever, where will my home office go will matter to Mm. more buyers than it ever has before. Okay, so let me ask you this. Right. Okay, so if we think that work from home is a more permanent feature, right? In other words... EPB is wrong. It wasn't just a one-time great reshuffling. This is a permanent change to just how we work. Yeah, the, right? the question is the percentage, right? So right. like everybody worked from home for 100% of the people work from home for a little while. Right. How much of that will retain? I don't really know. Um, it's less than 100, but more than zero. And right. probably closer to zero, than way closer to zero than it is 100. <laughs> but, oh, okay. So you yeah. think more and more companies will just be like, everybody back to the office. Uh, the, the reason why I bring this up right. is this, right? So part of the great reshuffling, I think, is what led to whatever inventory we did have. Meaning oh. somebody's leaving you know, uh, California, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. They're going to sell their $1.8 million bungalow in California. And then they're going to go buy three homes in Texas. Sure. Right? Right. Okay. The question then becomes the people who uh, basically have all of the people who would have done that already done it. Like, no. are, are there millions of people left who no. are just like, okay, you know, you can look, I'm, I you know I'm in California I have for a long time. Net domestic yeah. migration in California has been down since before the pandemic, right? More people right. have been leaving California domestically than have been coming to it. Uh, since prior to the pandemic and that trend will continue now that the you know now that it's past us or wherever we are mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. so I, I don't i think you can look at the domestic migration numbers of each state and that trend line will go back to because whatever the drivers were of it affordability you know mm-hmm. you go to the facebook group leaving california and you see a whole bunch of reasons why people are leaving right <laughs> um but Whatever was there before the pandemic that was making the net domestic the, the net domestic migration numbers be what they are, are still there, right? Most of those things haven't changed, and so I don't think those core drivers that were there before uh, are gone. So I don't. Okay. Think- so all right. So you think that basically the geographic arbitrage will continue? Yeah. So the people who are going to be selling a lot of them will be selling because they're moving out of state. They're just moving. You know, they're taking advantage of work from home, basically. No. That, that That's what I'm wondering. Is that a short-term uh, thing or is that more of a permanent thing that we can look forward to? Like I we think say? it's always been a thing and yeah. it's more of a thing than it was before. And that will stay true. But you know, I don't know what percentage of people moved because they could work from home prior to the pandemic. I don't, let's just make up a number. Let's say that was okay. 5%, right? Okay. Of every person who moved. of them were like, yeah, I can work from anywhere now. So I'm going to go work from somewhere else. 
And yeah. maybe that's, you know, maybe that's up to eight or 9%. Maybe it's doubled, right? Okay. Maybe, okay. It isn't like the driver. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah, no, that makes sense. All right. So it's potentially more permanent, but it's not a big enough impact where, you know, like we should, in other words, it's kind of going back to a new listings question. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like I just keep trying to think of like, what, why would anyone move? Right? Like, why would there be? more inventory. It's like, okay, with the inventory we have, like basically my operating hypothesis right now is the increased inventory really is existing inventory aging, right? Yeah. It's not new inventory. New inventory numbers are actually down. Yes. New inventory numbers should be down for new construction going forward because they're going to build less. Mm -hmm. You know, like they're going to get rid of the inventory they've already worked on. And then they'll look at the financials. They'll do the calculations. And these yeah, are real smart guys. They're multi-building. Yeah. 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 Okay. You know, instead of building 10,000 homes in text, we're going to build 5,000 of them. Sure. Right. And we're going to build them differently because we understand the consumer yeah, demand is changing. Different places. We have this. Other. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. They're going to do something like that. All right. Mm -hmm. Homeowners, then the existing housing, they'll mm -hmm. be like, well, I was going to move, but now I'm not because... Now, you know, or maybe they'll, I, I don't know. That's what I'm trying to figure out, right? Well, people, look, uh, I, look, I, I'm born and raised in California. I like it here. Um, I'd probably move if I could, right? Mm -hmm. But I got a 10-year-old. I'm not going to switch her schools. Yeah, yeah. Year, and, you know, so, like, I'm here for another eight years. Maybe yeah. longer, right? Yeah. And that's the reality. And then at some point, I'll be an empty nester, and I'll be like, yeah, I'm out. Right? Which is the life, which the life circumstance change, which which point. always it, has existed. That, yeah? My point is yeah. going back to most people, and maybe this is another way to say the same thing we were saying before. Most people make housing decisions because of changes in their life, not changes in the market. Mm -hmm. And so we all had a big change in our life when the pandemic hit. So not surprising, right? Yeah, you yeah. See this big change in housing demand, right? Yeah. So that makes yeah. sense. But that core bedrock, that basic truth, that fundamental truth of people buy because of timing in their life, not timing in the market, holds true. And yeah, it, as an empty nester, I don't have to sell. I've got more options, right? I might wait. I can maybe time it a little more than mm -hmm. someone who has a job transfer or someone who has a two-bedroom house but just had their third kid, right? Those people are more urgent than me as an empty nester someday in the future. But those, yeah. those universal truths have always been there. That there's yeah, no yeah. difference to that core underpinning of residential real estate. Cool, man. Um, I, I knew that somehow we were going to, be able to spend a lot of time talking about a topic that would put most people to like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, hopefully we've but made it. Let, let's see if we could do a little bit uh, more interesting. So, okay. Again, put your manager hat on for a second. Okay. Manager of a real estate office? Manager of real estate office hat right. on. Right. Chief strategy officer next home. Yeah. What do you think are the, like the three biggest mistakes that real estate agents make when economics is the topic? Oh, uh, I think number one, they shy away from it. Mm. I think they, I think many, many agents in this industry have, I don't know, I'll use a psychological term, but they have uh, imposter syndrome. They feel like they're not um, valid as an expert because mm. they didn't go to Harvard, Harvard and they're not on CNBC or Bloomberg or whatever. Mm. Uh, and really, most really good real estate professionals I know have an intuitive understanding of the real estate market 
and with a little bit of work could communicate it about it in a very, very powerful fashion. Mm. Um, I've been talking to my people about, you know, what we've been saying internally is just you, now is the time to be the voice. You need to be the voice of residential real estate for the, you know, sphere of influence or social media or whatever platform you can get on. You need to be the voice for uh, what's really going on. Because most of the headlines right now are, you know, real estate's plummeting, real estate, you know, implosion. And it's just not true. Real estate values are going to end the year up, right? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it's not an implosion. So I think, number one, they don't go out into their marketplace and and become the expert that they could be. Okay. Uh, So that's a mistake. That's a good one. Mm -hmm. Um, Number two, they don't... uh, Your skill set does need to shift, right? Because let's be honest, for the last two years, as a real estate agent, when it came to pricing discussion with your seller, you'd walk in and you'd have a number in your head and they'd have a number in their head and you'd say, what price do you think we should list it for? And they'd give you some big number and you'd be like, shit, I don't know, let's try, <laughs> right? <laughs> it, like, there's, if you've been in the, in the business for the last two years, you might not have needed to have a thoughtful discussion with a seller around price, mm-hmm. right? And you're going to need to be better at that conversation in the coming days, weeks, months, and years. So uh, thinking about the residential real estate market skill set and toolkit, right? That's the other thing. What tools are you going to need in your toolkit to be successful as inventory goes up and demand goes down? Because that is what's happening. We Sure. I don't know. We spent 45 minutes debating how much, right? <laughs> but the reality is... Inventory levels are going up and demand is going down. So what skills do you need and what tools do you need to be successful with those current market conditions? Um, Again, price being one, right? The price discussion uh, being one. Uh, Price reduction discussion being another. Educating a seller about the realities of the market because sellers don't want to believe that they missed the boat. Uh, educating mm-hmm. buyers about the fact that there's not really this market implosion and you can't go in and write at 30% a list and, and think you're going to win, right? So the conversations that you need to be having are different than they were even just three or four or six months ago. And so investing a little bit in developing the skill set that you need to be successful. Uh, and then the last thing I've been talking to my people about a lot <laughs> is... Um, there's going to be a bunch of conversations that if I were selling residential real estate today, I would be avoiding at all costs. Um, I do believe that the industry will have fewer agents in it next year than it had this year and fewer agents in it the year after that than it had at the beginning of the year previous. So agents Mm -hmm. are going to be exiting this business and there's going to be a whole lot of negative not worthwhile, not impactful conversations that are going to be happening around. I was going to say the water cooler, but that makes me sound very old uh, <laughs> around, uh, you know, I don't know, whatever. TikTok video, <laughs> TikTok video, social media, real estate groups, wherever you, you know, where you hang with your peers, I, I would get artful at exiting conversations. I would be practicing it's funny. I talked to a group of our agents yesterday and, uh, or I'm sorry, on Friday. And 
I said, look, the, the technique that I used to use when I was running a real estate office is I would fake a pee, right? I'd just be like, hey, I got to go to the bathroom. This conversation's over, right? Mm-hmm. And I, look, I'm not a, I'm not the. Like, okay. So what are these topics that you think are the negative and no. not worth it? Well, Give me like, an example. A bunch of agents right now are talking about how the real estate market is imploding, right? It's just not yeah. true. It's don't, just, yeah. Don't, why, don't bother debating those people. Just get away from them. Run. Okay. Okay. Uh, it's impossible to be successful in this kind of market. Run away from those people. Sure. Right. No one's ever going to sell their house again. Get away from those yeah. people. Those conversations are not like. I don't even see the point of those conversations. But they happen all the time. I, I don't. I just don't even like. No one's ever going to sell their house again. Okay. Well, time to go get it. You know, get an Uber. I, I don't know to tell you. Like. You yeah, know? but I don't even want to bother with that. That's one text I could have sent to a past client to try to get, you know, to push my life forward. Look, when a real estate agent says the market sucks, usually what they mean is I don't have any contracts, mm. right? I don't have anything in escrow or I don't have anything with the closing attorney. That's usually what they mean, right? Because in 2008, a whole lot of real estate agents were saying that the market sucked, except those REO agents, they had a bunch of listings, right? Now, yeah, they might not yeah. like their lives, but they weren't talking about how bad the market sucked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not like, I don't want to be Pollyanna and just be like mindset is everything and get a vision board and your life will be fine. That's not what I'm saying. (laughs) (laughs) But what I am saying is pick what you're going to give your emotional energy to and make as little of it as possible. Those sort of not worthwhile, no value bringing horrible conversations. Yeah. So I mean, I think, I think that's actually applicable, not just to real estate agents. I think that's just agree. That's a life, life, life like ev- like all yeah. of us, you know, yeah. everybody. Um, yeah, you know, like no, like, look, I as I enjoy doom porn, like you know, more than most people. I think you do. You really, I do. really do. <laughs> you love it, <laughs> but I know it's not going to affect my day to day. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, like, and look, like you know, that's the world needs people who are going to say what if to the worst case outcomes. The, the bigger thing for me is like, I I just want to know so I'm not caught by surprise. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. so for example, like I'm sure nobody in real estate, well, I don't want to say nobody because it turns out there are a fair number of really smart macro people in real sure. estate, but no agent's going to be thinking about German nuclear power situation. No. Because it's not going to affect us immediately and directly. However, yeah. it could. Right, something happens to Germany, the Russia, the ruble, yeah. the gas, yeah. that whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Then it affects the dollar because Euro dollar exchange, and then it could it could have these other cascading effects. Sure. I'm like, okay, I'm not gonna let it affect my day to day, but I do want to know it, like in the back of my head. Oh, you know, there's this thing going on with energy. Yeah, you know, it yeah. could lead to this, and what does that mean? You know, I don't know. Yeah, you, know? you and I look, you because of your consultancy and the company that you've built your people hire you to worry for them right a little bit yeah, yeah a little bit. and yeah. that's part of my job look yeah. I, you know they pay me to worry <laughs> and, then, and then tell them what to actually pay, worry, about to worry about and then hopefully give them a couple of solutions right yeah. <laughs> so, we're a couple guys who get paid to worry and that, that's yeah. okay that's good but i also don't think to your earlier point most agents aren't going to worry about it, and most agents shouldn't. You know, like it's okay. 
Yeah, but to your point, they need to worry about some of the pivots, right? Yes. Like, like, that, some of the skill right. set. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, if you don't know what a CPI is, you don't know how to read interesting, if you have, if you have no concept. And I'm, saying, I'm not saying they have to go and get an economics degree because clearly you and I don't have one. No. But I do feel like you have to have some understanding of how this stuff could affect things yeah, like it's local markets. I was you know? talking to a group of agents on Friday. I mentioned that just yeah. a minute ago. And in the same way that they don't have to be the experts, they got to have access to them, right? Just like how they lever off a home inspection report to someone who is knows a lot about foundations and chimneys and roofs, right? Right, right. They don't have, they lever off a pest inspection to a, an expert that's really good at that. And then that person gives them information and right. then they communicate that information to their clients go out into the marketplace, wherever that is, and pay for it if you have to. Uh, follow Rob and subscribe to this podcast and you know, go to these places where you can find the information that you can then disseminate to your clients and run it through your local filter, right? right. Someone says ABC is happening. Go, okay, was that happening here? Let me go look, let me check. Right. But if you spend an hour a week, time block an hour a week to really dig into your local market stats and compare that with some of the macro stats. You do a couple of Google searches, sign up for a few e-newsletters and, and a couple of podcasts you want to follow. Like you can get there pretty quick. You can get there pretty quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so let's, I mean, we're getting long, so let's wrap okay. up. And so I'll, I'll make a statement here and I'll ask you to react and tell me if I'm, yeah. if, tell me if I'm crazy. Then the reason I say this is because I've never been a real... Yeah, I've never been an agent, right? I've never yeah. a broker, right? My wife is the broker. You're the yeah. broker. You're the agent. You guys yeah. have actually been in the trenches. However, I have been around this industry a long time. Yes, you have. And I've known a lot of agents, some great, some not so great. Yeah. Um, and I did live through the bubble. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So I think the point I want to make is this. Like, when the bubble happened, mm -hmm. the thing that really struck me was how authenticity and being genuine mm -hmm. really mattered. Yeah. Like some of the best agents I know mm -hmm. were telling their clients earlier on, like in 2006. Yeah. Now's not the time to buy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? And they were doing this knowing they're losing commission. Right. Yeah. Knowing yeah. like, you know, and, but they were like, I, I can't. And they were genuine about it. Now, yeah. some case they, they might have been telling their clients now's the time to buy. But mm -hmm. like they really believed it based on education, not yeah. based on a commission check, based right. on here's what I've read, here's what I've studied, and here's my true, honest, genuine belief, yes. and you should do this or you should not do this. Yes. I think that's incredibly important. I think we're about to cross into that because the, the market's like this. Who the fuck knows? Yeah. No, in times of uh, uncertainty, yeah. you need the skill set of authenticity becomes more and more valuable. Right. And I think to your points, like so the reason to get educated, to read, to follow, to is is to so you can form your own opinion about it. Yeah. Right. And then I think be really genuine about it and stop thinking about how's it gonna impact my commission check. I think yeah. in times of chaos that is now in normal times I think great agents do that anyway. <laughs> just because yeah, I mean, they, they have to they have more than enough business. They're like, look, I'm giving you my honest advice. This is what I think. And I mean, look, I'll give you a, a, an example that in my, you know, every listing presentation I went on, I did it and, and good agents do it regardless of, I believe in holding real estate as an asset. I think it's a great asset. The old yep. line is you don't uh, build wealth, uh, you know, you don't, you build wealth by buying real estate and not selling it, meaning 
you hold it, right? And so you should go on a listing presentation and say something along the lines of you thought about keeping this property as a rental. Right. Right. And good agents are really comfortable with that because right. they've got two, three, four, eight more listing presentations that week. Right. Their financial future doesn't hinge on whether or not these two people want to sell their home, right? And that's what a fiduciary is. You put yes. their interests above your own and you should be having these thoughtful conversations, regardless of market cycle turmoil and all that other stuff. Your job is to advise them and to... Sometimes that means when they get too low, you got to pick them up. Sometimes that means when they're too excited, you got to pull them down to reality. Mm-hmm. But being earnest and being authentic and truly putting their interests above your own, it, so long as you operate with that modality, uh, you will make the right decision. So, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I bring this up because it's like, look, just because somebody's not going to buy this year, just because let's say the next three years is like this really crappy, horrible market. And yeah. If you do that, I feel like people remember. No, they you know, don't. and like the yeah. world will continue. Like the, the market will be back. If the market's down now, it'll be back up. Yeah. Like yeah. We, like we started off this like boom and bust. Like it's yeah. gonna happen. Yeah. yeah. But they're gonna remember the guy who told them. You know what? Now is not the time to buy. Yeah, and they're gonna remember. I and, and I yeah, because I remember. Look, the theme that we I agree with you. First of all, we agree. Yeah. It's always fun, but makes for a boring podcast. What? <laughs> uh, I think that is, I think the theme that I, I guess that keeps coming up time and time again is people, most people buy and sell because of timing in their life. Right. right? And right. so it's actually the economics matter, but not as much, right? right. Because it, you should be really comfortable if it, hey, look, do you want to keep renting your two bedroom with the three kids? Because you know, you could do that. There's yeah. nothing wrong with that. That might be the right decision in the near term, right? Or if or, let, or maybe let me help you find a bigger rental. Yeah, right. Yeah, no, you, they're supposed story. to be their complete real estate resource for whatever right. they need, right? And so, and I think great agents, and I don't mean great agents just by production. I mean agents Correct. who are great agents, uh, whether they're selling two homes a year. Or 222 homes a year. That's how they approach it. That's how they approach it. And I agree. And I think those are the ones who will ultimately, like the people are selling two homes here. It could be because they're early in their career. Yeah. If you said that, like I have my beliefs, I've studied, I've put in my work. This is what I believe. And I'm happy to be wrong, but I'm going to tell you what I believe. I think that's maybe the, the real skits I would, I would want to tell people about, because I remember this was really important during the bubble. It's right. Yeah, but it, my point is, is and maybe it was more important during the bubble, but it it's always important. Like it's never. No, you're right. It's always. It's just that the, during the bubble, like that, really shone through because consumers remembered. You told me not to buy, and thank God I didn't. Yeah. Right? So right. now that we're back, like, let me. I'm gonna buy from it's you. Still, though, if you bought, like, I went back and tracked it. If you bought on the worst day, yeah, in my generation to buy a home. Yeah. And you held that asset for 10 years, which is, yeah. Oh, you're fine. Yeah. You're fine. Yeah. yeah right? You're totally fine. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. like go back to, I, I don't believe there is, uh, I don't believe, you know, to your point earlier, right. It's always a great time to buy if you're a buyer and it's always a great time to sell if you're a seller, <laughs> right? Like, ick, don't say that icky gross. Right. And the reality is the real question is why are you thinking about buying or selling? Right. Right. And 
can you, if you didn't buy or sell, would you be okay? Right. And if the answer is, yeah, we could, you know, like I'm not selling this house. Why? Uh, I bought it. We closed in December and my 10 year old looked at me and said, dad, don't move again. Cause to me, historically, uh, the uh, home was an asset. And then once it was worth enough, I was trading it up to the next bigger home. Right. Whether that took two months, two years or 12 years. Yeah. It, I, I got very little emotional attachment. Right. And now because of my 10 year old, like I'm this, this, we're in this one for a while. Right. right, right. Like, so it, right. that, that take that one little story extrapolated across every single one. What we forget sometimes is all of those, statistics there's a human being behind those statistics right and that human being is making a decision based off of their life when it comes to their housing and amen brother yeah. amen all right it's, it's almost that like we ended up at the tagline of your fucking company there you know with yeah me too <laughs> james should like pay you more <laughs> well, he does pay me so it's good but that is i mean look our tagline has been humans over houses for years now yeah yeah well before it was cool so yeah um, put the humans first yeah. and, and look, I'll go ruthless business logic, right. Is the chief strap. That's, that's where I will build our walls to fight anyone who wants to come into this industry or try to disintermediate the real estate agent. Like we'll own the relationship with the humans because that's what yeah. we're best in the world at anyway. And we own that. We don't have to worry about the rest. All right. Well, let's wrap there. It's uh, right. like I said, thanks for guest hosting. If uh, people want to know more, if, uh, if people want your economic updates, Keith, yeah. where people find you. Uh, Facebook is Keith Robinson. Instagram is Keith underscore Robinson. I think, I don't know. I'll send you my handles. You can put them in the, that in sounds the fantastic. Somewhere. And, uh, let's, uh, say goodbye with, uh, uh with good wishes for Greg, who, who hopefully is, uh, enjoying the crystal blue waters, the Mykonos islands. Yeah. Greg, we miss you, but, uh, Keith has more than ably filled in. Yeah. Yes. Greg, I hope you've had an amazing vacation. <laughs> you deserve it. And uh, I know your listeners can't wait to have you back. And get All, you. Right. All right. Thanks, <laughs> Thanks so much, Keith. Okay. Take it easy. All right. Ciao. I'm so excited to announce our inaugural sponsor of Industry Relations Podcast, Note Router. Note Router was launched back in 2018 by Nick Goff. Uh, with the mission of reconnecting real estate. NoteRouter is an all-in-one email and texting platform designed exclusively for real estate. NoteRouter uh, syncs with your membership database and makes communicating with your members easier and more effective. Your staff will love you for it. If you're an association or MLS that wants to do a better job of communicating with your members, look no further. Uh, NoteRouter has just launched a, a new website. It looks fantastic. It's noterouter.com. I'll put that information in the show notes and take a look. Again, Rob and I want to sincerely thanks NoteRouter and Nick Off for uh, sponsoring this uh, episode of Industry Relations.